Where were you 20 years ago on September 11th, 2001? Today, we've been featuring some personal narratives of what happened that day, as well as listening to a recent podcast put together featuring 60 Minutes Australia, where they discuss their feelings towards 9-11 20 years ago today. There also be some moments of reflection in one of their narratives, as well as reading of the victims. Hope you enjoy the tribute to September 11th, 2001, some 20 years ago. Where were you 20 years ago on September 11th, 2001? My name is Sylvia. I was only 12 years old when 9-11 changed a lot, changed the life of everybody. I was sitting in Pimmerman Middle School in math class, and the teacher had joked around asking everybody with a serious look on her face, do you know what's happening right now? And a lot of the answers were basketball. People were giving her joking around laughing. And then she turned on TV and with dead silence for a while. And that's all you did all day, was watch the devastation of what was happening. We saw the first plane, and then moments later, two hours later, another class. And here goes the Pentagon getting hit. There you got... What do you do, a 12-year-old? You don't know what's happening. You question everything. These people did not expect to wake up one morning, expect their lives to be shattered at that time. They were on planes. People went to work as normal. Went to school as normal. They just lived normal lives. Nobody was prepared for this attack. That later became a terrorist attack. So yes, at 12 years old, what can you do at 12 years old to think about the images of what's happening at a young age? We often take for granted what was going on during that time. I know for me, I'm sitting in math class, and I just could not figure out why somebody would want to take out innocent people who had nothing to do, nothing to do with anything. The people who woke up that day did not expect it would be the last time they would see their loved ones. They didn't expect to get hurt. There was about 3,000 people that lost their lives that day over some act that probably could have been avoided. I remember coming home from school, sitting, and all you could hear is glued to this TV screen. Every channel, all week, was what was happening on September 11th, 2001. Being just a teenager at that time, your mind's not thinking. It's not going to what's going on. It didn't click on me until later that day that something serious has happened. And a lot of people were astonished. A lot of people would not forget where they were just 20 years ago. Where were you 20 years ago on September 11th, 2001? With this being the 20th anniversary, we're going to take a few minutes of silence. Just a few minutes, seconds, to think about the life 20 years ago has made on the world today.
it is hard to imagine or think about 20 years ago the, the day that the United States changed its dynamics have changed people just were calling up waiting to hear words of the loved ones waiting to see hear what they were doing many did not survive many were injured but they would not forget they had people that were running the streets running away from safety their blocks away trying to figure out making their last phone calls to loved ones telling them they're not gonna make it someone just hijacked his plane love you the last words that a lot of people said that day was I love you or have a good day not knowing that it would be the last time you would hear them words the paramedics Firefighters, police officers who lost our lives that day will ever be for known as heroes. They risked our lives to make sure hundreds of people, thousands of people, are safe. 20 years ago, where were you when the world stopped turning just 20 years ago? Being only 12 at that time, just up in middle school, gonna imagine what it's like to live through that. You know that every year, as I got older, starting to realize that this was nothing. It should have happened. They were mad at the U.S. for who knows what. And then, 20 years ago, is a year we will never forget. September 11th, 2001. Let's take another few seconds to reflect. We pray for the victims and families who are still missing their loved ones on this attack 20 years ago. We pray that you dispute with everybody as we all reflect on 20 years ago. Some of us were not born at this time. There's quite a few people who don't know anything about September 11th and what was happening. They don't know anything about it. I just pray that you continue to be with everybody as we remember and reflect on the moment of September 11th, 2001. Let's pray. Amen. We are now going to listen to a reflection on the 20 years of 9-11 has impact featuring members of 60 Minutes Australia. It was the day that shook the world. September 11, 2001. The date that will forever be known as 9-11.
And James, you were in the thick of it. That's right, Liz. My office was looking north and I remember I got off the phone and I was looking straight at the building in front of me when it essentially exploded. So it happened right in front of my eyes. Basically, 10 floors exploding straight in front of me. And you had no idea at that point what that was? I never actually saw an aircraft, but an almighty explosion. The smoke, the flames. Slips of paper floating on the breeze. I assumed that a pipe had exploded. That's all I could come up with. But at that particular time, uh, it was just mayhem. To quell the panic, an announcement instructed James and his colleagues who'd seen what had happened next door to stay at their desks. I was, I think, in a, a state of shock and wandering around on the 92nd floor when that particular announcement was made that the South Tower was secure and that you could stay put. For some reason, it had the exact opposite impact on me. And I thought, you can tell me that when my feet are on the ground, I'm out of here. And I got into a fire escape in the uh, northwestern fire escape in the South Tower, which turned out to be the furthest stairwell from where the plane was about to crash into the building. At 9.03am, scarcely 20 minutes after the North Tower was hit, United Airlines Flight 175, another Boeing 767 carrying 65 men, women and children, crashed into the South Tower between the 77th and 85th floors. I wasn't too many floors down. I soon recall I was at around the 70th floor when the next plane came crashing into the building. So I was stuck in a very narrow stairwell when that occurred, probably just a little bit below the point of impact. But did you know that that was a plane? No, no idea. I, I didn't know for a long, long time what had happened. into a building it's very difficult to put into words the force that i felt i had to catch myself i thought i was dead then it turned out that i wasn't and the building stopped shaking and i said i better keep going down here something else just hit a very large plane at that point people started to fill into these stairways i really remember the piles of shoes being left at, at every turn people kicking off their shoes and i remember standing still in the 50s because there were then that many people in the stairs and you couldn't move and i remember thinking to myself i just can't get out those stairs were the worst absolute worst it really uh, brings back some, some some pretty horrific memories when i think about it it was the worst because every everybody was trying to do what you were doing well you couldn't really help yourself and it's probably very lucky that I didn't know what had happened, to be honest, because that really would have set people off, I think, 
there were people sitting down on the stairs waiting to be rescued. And I, I just had to get out. Uh, I had to get out of there. Even while James Dorney and thousands of others trapped in the Twin Towers were still fighting for their lives, the terrible truth of the attack was sinking in. In Florida, President George Bush was visiting a class of second graders when his chief of staff interrupted. Bush was told of the attacks as TV cameras rolled. I walked up to him and leaned over and said, a second plane hit the second tower. America is under attack. And I think that's the day he really recognized the great burden of being president. Freedom itself was attacked this morning by a faceless coward. And freedom will be defended. 9-11 was new territory for everyone. Nothing like it had ever happened in military history, and the world had to quickly come to terms with a horrifying new reality. Yolanda, from your perspective, this is the beginning of the trauma from the moment we saw what was happening. The trauma began. I guess what it actually did is that the world changed in, in, in a couple of hours in a very profound way, and I guess it really left us with the sense of what's next or who are we going to become. At that stage, I don't think any of us knew really what the magnitude of it was or what it really would mean for the future. And Ali, you were in Australia. And like many Australians, I was watching television and this came on the screens. We were all witnesses to this tragic event unfolding live before our eyes. We were all placed in the position of witness. Simon, where were you? It was early morning in California. Our next-door neighbour came pounding on our front door saying they'd blown up New York. I've been in those buildings myself. You know how many thousands of people work there. And you're just thinking to yourself, I am watching thousands of people are dying right now, live TV. in the morning, but already hundreds of innocent people were dead, and the financial district of New York had become the first field of battle in a terrifying new war. In the U.S. Capitol, 9-11's next act unfolded. Flight 77 plummeted into the Pentagon, piercing the heart of the US military. It was Osama bin Laden's ultimate humiliation of this superpower. All 64 people on board and 125 inside the building died. Chaos gripped the capital. The 
the White House was evacuated, then the Capitol building. And in the midst of this escalating national crisis was our Prime Minister, John Howard. Can I just say now, horrified I am at what I've just heard regarding um, what's happened in New York. It appears to be a most horrific, awful event that will obviously entail a, a very big loss. John Howard joins us now from lockdown in his Sydney home. You would remember that quite vividly, I would think, Mr Howard. It was during that news conference that third plane slammed into the Pentagon. I went back to my room and within minutes, George Edwards, who was the head of my security, American security details, said, you're getting out of here. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I haven't lost anybody yet and I don't intend to start today. This rarely seen footage captures the tense moments in which Mr Howard was rushed to safety at the Australian Embassy while authorities desperately tried to track down his wife and son. I wanted to know about my wife and eldest son, Tim. He and his mother were heading, in fact, towards Pentagon because they're going on a bit of a sightseeing visit. When they heard about what had happened, uh, that changed very rapidly. They were directed to the to the bunker underneath the uh, Australian Embassy in Pennsylvania Avenue. As the Howard sheltered in the bunker, outside the US military was in disarray. Its leaders in hiding, the Pentagon in flames. Well, it's not just a symbol. It's far more than a symbol. It's the central nervous system of the American military, where the Secretary of Defense works, the very top of the military leader, the Joint Chiefs. The idea that that could be hit in the way it was and taken offline um, uh, for a time at least. Just a remarkable thing for people with box cutters um, to be able to pull off. Uh, Mr Howard, uh, this wasn't just any old building, was it? They'd struck the two great American symbols. The Twin Towers were a symbol of economic supremacy and the Pentagon was a symbol of military supremacy. It had all the symbolism, it had all the audacity. It's always difficult to say this without being misunderstood, but as a calculation designed to humiliate, it couldn't have been better as far as the terrorists were concerned. And quite extraordinary, really. You have this idea that America is absolutely invincible. No country's invincible. Meanwhile, James Dorney was out of the South Tower, but he was not out of trouble. I vividly remember coming to the bottom of the World Trade Tower there, looking out through the glass. The sky was black. There was debris falling. I thought to myself, what is going on here? Running up the other way were all the fireys. They were knocking themselves out to get up into that building and rescue people and fight that fire. All I could think of was going the other way. These amazing people were going into the building. I can't imagine uh, what you thought was happening to you. I didn't know. We came out a block away when we finally emerged onto street level and I remember that there were fully grown men screaming and wailing. It was a complete war scene. There was screaming, there was sirens, there was horrific scenes all over the street with body parts 
I looked up, people jumping out of the towers. Nearly 3,000 people are killed. Only 
only 16 survivors will ever be rescued from the rubble. In the days that followed, Americans lived in constant fear of further attacks. Australia's intelligence chief at the time, ASIO boss Dennis Richardson, says this attack was a failure of the US and its allies to imagine the scale, effectiveness and ingenuity of their enemy. If you had have asked me to write down the 50 most likely terrorist challenges that we might have in 2001, I wouldn't have written that down. We were so focused offshore we were so focused on where our vulnerabilities might be globally that we forgot our own vulnerabilities domestically. The bottom line was that it was a failure of imagination. We all lacked imagination. The intelligence world quickly focused on the little-known terrorist group Al-Qaeda and its shadowy mastermind Osama bin Laden, who operated from a stronghold in Afghanistan. This was an entirely new breed of enemy, one with no rules of engagement and whose weapon of choice was fear. The images that were broadcast on our televisions kept it in the collective memory. Part of terrorism is that surprise element, it's that media coverage, it's capturing the international imagination. Yes, it was very calculated. It was very calculated. It is also the unimaginable of using something that is part of our everyday, an airplane, to conduct such a heinous terrorist attack. If I could bring in Yolanda here, seeing those towers crumble, the Pentagon's been hit, the psyche of the world has shifted, hasn't it? The symbolic humiliation that this attack represented should not be underestimated in the sense that it sort of is an attack in the heart of a country that thought it was invincible, that this would never happen on American soil. And so in that sense, it is indeed something that is a very deep wound, collectively, you could say. James, you lived this, you breathed this, you survived this. Just. Did you get angry or did you just think thank god i got out i never really felt any anger about it liz my overwhelming sense throughout all of this was one of sadness and i just remember this eerie feeling in new york shock on people's faces it was like the oxygen had been sucked out of new york and that was not probably unique to new york i think all around the world people were either waking up or going to bed thinking what's happened here and what's it going to mean? The American homeland had been attacked as never before. The shock and the casualties far greater than the Japanese surprise bombing of Pearl Harbor, which propelled the US into World War II. Americans wanted revenge, and their president, George W. Bush, who'd been elected by the barest of margins less than a year before, suddenly became a wartime leader. I can hear you!
transformed. Uh, and instinctively, thought to myself, well, we'll have to be alongside them. I did go to Congress that day on Wednesday, and I, it was probably one of the most emotional moments I've had. Uh, I had as Prime Minister. The Chair wishes to acknowledge the presence of the Prime Minister. And then that afternoon, I said that we would stand beside the Americans in any response. I hadn't discussed that with my cabinet or parliament, but I knew instinctively that was what the feelings of the great majority, not everybody, the great majority of the Australian people would be. You can be assured of Australia's resolute solidarity with the American people. To his word, when America invaded Afghanistan on the hunt for Osama bin Laden a month after 9-11, John Howard ensured we were there. And you have no regrets about that, Mr Howard? No, no, I had no regrets about that at all. There was an almost united view in Australia that we should join in the initial intervention to deny al-Qaeda the safe harbour of Afghanistan to mount a future attack because one of the immediate reactions of people was this could be the beginning of a series of attacks around the world. Was there any other option other than war? There was no way the United States could stand for this. There's a sense from the American security establishment we couldn't protect our people. They had to fend for themselves on that day. So damn right, they were going to go after someone. We know where they are. Now, how are we going to go get them? Well, given he was so pivotal to this whole group, and Ali, would it have been better just to go for Osama bin Laden? Military strategists rightly pointed out that the mistake was utilising conventional warfare against an unconventional enemy. You may have uh, used military might to uh, destroy terrorist training camps, but it certainly did not kill terrorism. But 9-11 gave President Bush virtual carte blanche to strike anywhere at will under the banner of the war on terror. It will not end until every terrorist group of global reach has been found, stopped and defeated. But there was one country and one dictator in the Bush administration's sight almost from the first moments of the 9-11 attacks, Iraq's Saddam Hussein. The invasion of Iraq was justified by intelligence reports that Saddam was stockpiling nuclear weapons and that he could pass them to the terrorists. Only after Australia joined the invading forces did we discover Iraq's so-called weapons of mass destruction did not exist. Australia under your leadership, Mr Howard, was central to the coalition of the willing. Do you accept that? Oh yes, obviously the decision to join the Americans and the British um, in the Iraqi campaign was very controversial. I remain uh, unrepentant, so to speak, about our decision to join it. I know you defend it, and I understand why you defend it, but are you proud of it, given all that you do now know? 
my answer is that when I look back, the accumulated view of the entire um, American intelligence establishment late in 2002 that Iraq did have weapons of mass destruction. I understand that, but it, but it ended up being wrong. And that's the hard bit, isn't it? Intelligence can often be wrong. But the, but the problem is, is that if you wait, if you wait for blue perfect proof that something going to happen, you can have another Pearl Harbor. I think Australians just really didn't understand the reasons why we were partaking in the Iraq war. Was it weapons of mass destruction? Was it to depose Saddam Hussein? Was it because of terrorism? Perhaps the question is, did we go to war with Iraq because of 9-11? Deep down, I didn't think Iraq was responsible. I thought, though, that if Iraq did have weapons of mass destruction, there was a real risk that those weapons would be handed to a terrorist organisation. And I think that was a pretty legitimate, bona fide concern. of 9-11 were proving hard and costly. Even when Iraq's stockpiles of WMDs proved to be non-existent, the war went on regardless. protracted conflicts without real result, America's anger turned inwards. Numerous conspiracy theories emerged, accusing the government of the ultimate inside job. Two events on 9-11 became central to the conspiracy claims. The first was United Airlines Flight 93, the last of the four planes hijacked, supposedly heading for the White House. Aircraft is moving away. Moving away from the White House. Yeah, we, we believe just, we just know it's a VFR aircraft, and that's where it is. Air traffic control recordings and calls from those on board told of an horrific but doomed attempt by passengers to seize back control of the aircraft before crashing into a field in rural Pennsylvania. theories began to circulate that the jet had been shot down by U.S. forces. Then a second event occurred amidst the devastation of the Twin Towers in New York, when another building that formed part of the World Trade Center complex, known as Tower 7, suddenly and without warning collapsed hours after the attack. We're going to roll that tape for you. This is World Trade Number 7 collapsing just it's 47 floors disintegrated almost in free fall taking less than six seconds conspiracy theorists claim tower seven was brought down deliberately by a controlled demolition 
An allegation backed by a group of 3,400 building professionals called Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. The leader of the group is Richard Gage. The truth about 9-11 is a wake-up call for all of us. The explosive evidence and eyewitness testimony reveals to us not only controlled demolition, but a massive false flag operation, a massive series of lies from our government. Well, I spoke to Jonathan Barnett, CEO of Basic Expert and one of the world's leading fire structural engineers. Barnett was an expert witness in the US government's central investigation into the collapse of the Twin Towers and gave evidence to the US Congress. In all the investigations, and you said you looked deliberately, any evidence for a controlled demolition, what would you have needed to have found? We would have looked for um, steel that had been pre-cut. We would have looked for steel that had been damaged in an explosion, which is different than steel that's been damaged from the forces induced by a falling building. We found nothing. And if you'd seen a conspiracy... You would have called it out. Of course, we would have, and and uh, it's it's something that all of us were strongly dedicated to finding the truth. Barnett's team also established the complex preparation that would be needed for a controlled demolition in a building like Tower Seven. That kind of work doesn't happen in an hour or two. It takes many days, and in some buildings, weeks to do. Well, none of that happened on Tower 7. Yolanda, can I bring you in, in here? Conspiracy theories just abound after 9-11. What happens? What's going on that people with high intellects, you know, expertise decide something, something fishy is going on? Basically, what a conspiracy theory is, is, is an attempt to regain some sense of control. And whenever something big happens, right, like 9-11, but even COVID, so we want to have an explanation about us because our worldview is seriously sort of challenged at that moment. So we saw that with uh, Princess Diana, was it MI5 who killed her? And uh, there are so many conspiracy theories about why JFK, how he was murdered. And the same is actually the case with 9-11. We cannot accept psychologically that something as big as this was just caused by a handful of terrorists. And by actually embracing the conspiracy theory, we feel that we're back in control. We understand why the world is and why all of the, why all of this happened the way that it did. You must find this galling, James, to think that people do think this wasn't an attack by an enemy. Yeah, and look, it's, I've, I've obviously heard all the conspiracy theories about that, that building falling down. Uh, to be completely honest with this, I'm actually flabbergasted more buildings weren't knocked down. I'm, I'm surprised that anything was left standing within 10 blocks of the joint. I mean, for 20 years now, I've had people that didn't happen. It was an inside job. Well, I'm sorry, but I'm here to tell you that it did happen. While conspiracy theorists muddied the waters, world leaders were struggling to contain a far more divisive backlash against the Muslim community. As our Prime Minister, Mr Howard, spoke to Parliament about the attacks immediately after returning to Australia and said this. And I say to my fellow Australians of Islamic faith or of Middle Eastern descent, I extend to you the hand of friendship. 
You are part of our great society. You are part of the fabric of the great, decent, freedom-loving, fair-minded Australian nation. And they are as entitled to share my outrage and my sorrow and my anger and my sadness as are others within our community, Mr Speaker. Because wouldn't it be a terrible, tragic, obscene irony if in responding, however we do it as individuals or as nations, in responding to these uh, terrible terrorist attacks, we forsook the very things that we believed had been assaulted at last Tuesday in New York. I can sense that it's one of those things that you deeply regret that's come from this, that Muslims have suffered terribly, unnecessarily as a result. In no way did I want the Muslims of Australia to be made scapegoats for this. And Ali, the backlash, that affected you personally? Very much so. I'm, I'm not visibly Muslim, you know, I don't wear the hijab, but I'd been going to this coffee shop. And then one morning after 9-11, I had a necklace on um, and um, someone behind the counter said, oh, you're Muslim. And the barista who I was on first name terms with heard that and looked at me and said, what do you think about you know, 9-11 and, and, and innocent people getting killed? I said, well, I, I abhor violence against innocent people everywhere. And he said, good. And then as I was walking out of the coffee shop, he yelled out, look out, everybody, she's a Muslim, she's going to bomb us all. And the whole coffee shop just went silent. It was, it was just shocking. And I went up, sat in the toilet and cried into my coffee cup. That was my response. Well, and it, was, it was precisely the intent. They want to make us afraid of one another. But that was precisely one of the goals of the attacks, was to enrage, it was to bring on this apocalyptic sort of contest. And the, the challenge for the West was to resist that. Yeah. Uh, the challenge for the West was to reach for the higher ground. James, did you have a feeling about who had done this? Did you develop a feeling about Muslims, for example? No, not at all. I grew up in Australia, proud multicultural society. It's very easy to get angry and, and go looking for something to scapegoat. And my, my view has always been to try and rise above that. And, uh, and I think if that's a very important place to be or else it just it consumes you. You can't let that happen. Within minutes of the attack on that dreadful morning of September 11th, 2001, America as we knew it and our belief in its invincibility crumbled with the Twin Towers. followed in Afghanistan and Iraq. But in the US, there remained a sense of unfinished business. The leader of Al-Qaeda, Osama bin Laden, had not been dealt with. The United States has conducted an operation that killed Osama bin Laden, the leader of Al-Qaeda. Ten years ago, on May the 2nd, 2011, Osama bin Laden was finally hunted down and killed in Pakistan by SEAL Team 6. A terrorist who was responsible for the murder of thousands of innocent men, women and children. 
case like this one, we can say to those families who have lost loved ones to Al-Qaeda's terror, justice has been done. Tragically, any benefits the coalition forces battled to bring to Afghanistan are being obliterated as we speak. Within days of the withdrawal of U.S. troops, a reinvigorated Taliban had seized control of the capital, Kabul. And the world could only watch and wonder what was achieved as the people of Afghanistan found themselves back where it all began. If you've lived through one, one thing you won't do is fail to imagine the possibility of another. And indeed, it's, it's important to think beyond another 9-11. Among the lessons, the stark warning that for everything that has happened in the 20 years since 9-11, something like that terrible day, according to the experts, will happen again. The Americans know that if terrorists ever get their hands on a nuclear device, they will be the target. And it's important for us to understand that terrorists will use whatever weaponry they can to cause maximum destruction and death. They're chilling words. Mr Howard, what do you think are the lessons we can take from 9-11? I mean, we are, as a nation, united uh, in behind certain values. And that's the most important thing about our country, our common values. And it's the thing that binds us to the United States. But more than anything else, we have the same values. And the values are, are more important than trade, they're more important than economic systems, they're more important than anything else. And we've got to hold on to them very tightly. I find it unfortunate that it led to lots of actions. And regardless of whether they were effective or not in, in uh, sort of the fight against terrorism, it led to a lot of hardship. It didn't really resolve a lot of the problems really in the Middle East. And Ali? Terrorists are opportunists, uh, much like many criminals. They will exploit weaknesses and vulnerabilities. Individuals can be inspired to carry out a terrorist attack with extremely low-tech weapons, a car, a knife. And then we also have the very real prospect of cyber terrorism. So I think that terrorism has changed and the way in which we respond to terrorism also needs to change. I would point out that after 9-11, there hasn't been a 9-11. Uh, and why is that? Um, because the US, using its intelligence tools primarily, made it a very dangerous thing to be, to be a leader of a of global terrorist organisation. There were thousands of victims of 9-11 and many more who have suffered in the 20 years since that terrible morning. The world will never be as it was. But from the ashes of Ground Zero, New York has rebuilt. And so have the many survivors who were there. In one sense, Liz, 20 years seems a long, long time ago to me. But on the other hand, it just feels like yesterday. And for me personally, it probably doesn't fill me with a great deal of joy going back and uh, 
going through the events of that day. And But I think at this time it's really important that the story is told because I don't want this to be shots on a television screen. There's a human side to this, of which I'm a very small part. And I think um, one of the themes that's washed through today is that everybody has a, a role to play to ensure that these type of things don't happen again in the future. And that is my uh, very firm hope. Well said. Well, thank you all very much for joining us to remember a day that we need to learn from and one the world must never forget. Hello, I'm Liz Hayes. Thanks for watching 60 Minutes Australia. Subscribe to our channel now for breakfast news stories and here's a personal narrative of 9-11 20 years ago by Susan Watts I remember standing on the street looking up saying out loud oh my god oh my god oh my god I just couldn't believe what I was seeing you shoot first and you ask questions later and, you know, I'm looking up and bodies are falling from the sky and your brain can't keep up with the reality that's in front of your eyes. You just can't quite imagine that it's really happening. They had set up a makeshift triage right under the Millennium Hotel, right across the street from the World Trade Center on Church Street. And that's where they were bringing the injured. There were very little injured. You know, it was it was an incident where, you know, people either lived or died at some point. You felt the earth sort of shaking, almost like an earthquake. And I didn't know what was happening at that moment because my back happened to be turned towards the buildings at that moment. And you felt this sort of rumbling. And as I turned around, there was this mushroom cloud torpedoing down the street. And my instinct was to run. Normally, my instinct would be to shoot, but for the first time in my life, my instinct was to run because if I didn't run, I knew I would be dead. So I was running uh, away from this uh, mushroom cloud and ran into a pharmacy. I maneuvered my way through the back of the pharmacy and wound up in the lobby of a building on Ann Street and Broadway. And I knew that I had to go out there. I didn't know what had happened. I just knew whatever happened out there, I had to go and photograph it. So I was wandering around just at the foot of City Hall. And I will never forget this image. I'm running away from Lower Manhattan, turning back and just seeing these clouds of smoke billowing everywhere. And I just, my heart was breaking with every step thinking, this is my city. The very next morning, first thing in the morning, I got myself down to Battery Park City and worked myself up to a rooftop. I found a rooftop to, to photograph from, and it was an incredible vantage point. And this is the West Side Highway, completely covered with the World Trade Center debris. And the next frame, was actually the front page of the Daily News on September 13th. And it's of um, firemen bringing a, a body out of the rubble. For months and months and months after the attacks, I photographed firefighter funerals. And they would come right from ground zero 
in their in their work clothes in their in and they would co come to funerals and the reeking of, of of world trade center debris but everybody showed up everybody was there for each other it was just it was just incredible my obligation as a journalist, as a photojournalist, was never as strong as it was during that time. I felt such an obligation to, to our readers, to, to the city, to the country, to, to document what had happened there. Shortly after, I wondered how the event would change me, you know, what effect it would have on me. And I always thought, in time, I'll understand how I've changed from it. And 10 years have gone by and I'm waiting for the epiphany and it still hasn't come. I just think it's become part of my life experience, part of who I am today. You know, I've always been a proud New Yorker. I'm an even more proud New Yorker. I've always been a committed journalist. I'm even a more committed journalist. Maybe it's cemented all of my beliefs about everything that I already felt. Once again, that is Personal Narrative by Susan Watts of 9-11, some 20 years ago. Here's a recording of when the Pentagon was hit 20 years ago, 9-11-2001. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, we're looking at a uh, live picture from Washington and there is smoke pouring out of the Pentagon. It would appear that there has been another major explosion, this one in the nation's capital. You are looking at a scene of uh, apparent blast aftermath. There is smoke in the air over the Pentagon. We don't know whether this is the result of a bomb or whether it is yet another aircraft that has targeted a um, symbol of the United States power, but there is smoke pouring out of the Pentagon. Um, this is coming at 9.43 Eastern Time. The president right now is on his way back from Florida. He had gone there for an educational event. In a brief remarks, he said this was an apparent terrorist attack on our country. We do have a couple of reports, one from AP, one from Reuters, reporting that an American Airlines plane was hijacked, that a United Airlines plane was hijacked, supposedly one of those two planes hijacked out of Boston. At this point, the Pentagon, the White House, the Capitol, and the Treasury have been evacuated in uh, Washington. In New York, all airports, tunnels, and bridges have been closed, and in Chicago, the uh, Sears Tower has been evacuated. We understand now there has been a secondary explosion on Tower 2. With that, we will leave you and turn it over to Dan Rather. This is CBS News continuing live coverage of the apparent terrorist attacks today here in New York City and in Washington, D.C. It's important to say these things at the very beginning. There is much that is not known about what is happening. The second thing is that the word from almost everybody who's trying to deal with the situation, the word of the day is steady. Steady. Yes, there have been some terrible things happening. But until and unless we know the facts, it's very difficult to draw many conclusions. But there'll be rumors all day, and we're going to try to separate the rumors from the facts. CBS News veteran correspondent Harold Dow is on the telephone now uh, from uh, a section of the city where these twin towers are in flames and smoke. Harold, if you hear us, come in. 
Washington. I arrived on the scene about an hour and a half ago, and uh, believe it or not, there was another major explosion. The, build, the building itself, literally the top of it, came down, sending smoke and debris everywhere. I had to do all I could to run to get away from all the debris. Me and a number of other people here are trapped in the subway here in a shoe store actually trying to get away from most of the debris. Uh, it's just an incredible sight. They had a lot of emergency workers around the building. And, of course, everybody's hoping that these people were able to get out of there without being injured. But it is a surreal and devastating scene over here, something like I've never seen before. Harold, exactly where are you in filing this report? Uh, Dan, I'm at a subway station. I just ran down the stairs. I didn't even look at it. It's right around the corner from the World Trade Center. And I'm kind of waiting for that smoke and debris to blow away to go back upstairs. But it's uh, just an unbelievable situation here. Well, Harold, if I may, uh, take a deep breath. Take a series of deep breaths. And then let me ask you, uh, have you seen any indication that would tend to confirm these uh, reports which have been growing in intensity that a section of the World Trade Center uh, has collapsed onto the street below. Do you see any confirmation of that in that any direction? That is true, Dan. That's what we were all running from. We heard the building coming down, and that's what we were running from. Literally, people ran out of their shoes trying to get out of the way of this thing. Once again, that is a live video from the Pentagon that was hit just 20 years ago, September 11th, 2001. Have a nice day. Gordon M. Amat Jr. Adelmiro Abad. Marie Rose Abad. Andrew Anthony Abate. Vincent Paul Abate. Michael L. Bocchino. Susan M. Bocchino. Marlon Capito Bautista. Mark Lawrence Bavis. Jasper Baxter. Lorraine G. Bay. Michelle Beal. James Burns. Thomas E. Burnett, Jr. Irena Busolo. Kathleen Ann Burns. Thomas M. Butler. John Patrick Burnside. Linda M. Cologne. Saul E. Cologne. And my father, Richard Aaron. I love you very much. I miss you. My brother. I love you very much. I miss you. My brother, Richard Avery Aronel. William's father. We love him. We miss him. We will never forget.
David Francis Ferrugio. Louis V. Versini Jr. Mauricio Gonzalez. Rosa J. Gonzalez. Lynn Catherine Goodchild. This was the reading of some of the victims from the 9-11 attack. And this concludes our special broadcast of remembering 20 years ago on September 11, 2001. Where were you when the world topped turning that September day? Have a wonderful week. <laughs>